Hello, I'm Kristen Perisonotto. And I'm Hannah Ferguson, and we're co-founders of Cheek Media Co. This is the Weekly Cheek Podcast. Yeah, well, credit to Grace Tame, credit to Brittany Higgins, credit to Kate's friends, credit Mm. to everyone that's ever had the courage to speak out because the collective strength of that is what's now changing behaviour. And that is like it's shit. Am I allowed to? (laughs) It's shit house to see that um, that the cops did nothing for so long. I feel deeply uncomfortable with a Prime Minister that is like literally delivered from the 1950s and belongs to a... um, you know, a, a portion of a religious mm-hmm. belief system that is mm-hmm. j- just Quite very extreme, just very different to, yeah. I think, what ordinary Australians would, would subscribe to. And now we've got Julie Bishop, who, you know, is retired from politics, she's the Chancellor of ANU, and she's going on the 7.30 report and telling Lee Sales about the big the swinging big dicks, right? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheek podcast. In this episode, we are interviewing Senator for Queensland, Larissa Waters of the Greens Party. In this episode, we talk about the infamous milkshake consent video. We talk about challenges that face women in the workplace, the ongoing issues regarding sexual violence coming out of Canberra, and whether tokenism is more harmful or helpful. Just a content warning on this episode, we do talk a bit about sexual violence, although we don't go into to any details so just keep that in mind when you're listening enjoy the episode so a lot of media that we have heard and of course Kate's story that was covered on the project a couple of months back now we are seeing a lot of MPs senators elected officials who have spoken about staff and even people from the public have come to them and spoken to them about an assault or some type of sexual violence and that you know, elected official has then referred them on to the police or done something that seems to be equivalent of giving them a flyer or something like that to access their own support or counselling services. Do you think that there needs to be some training offered to elected officials so that they know how to deal with this a bit better? Yes, absolutely. More training is needed. I think in some cases there's ill will, but probably in the majority of cases, people just don't have a clue what to do when a disclosure like that is made to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you're right to identify the different sorts of examples um, that could occur. Obviously, if it's your own staff or a staff member and is covered by the parliamentary system the MPs need training on what that system Mm. is because Mm. sadly the surveys show that actually not a lot of people know what the system is people don't tend to make complaints because they don't even know where to go to make a complaint and they're conscious that inevitably it's their own careers that might suffer and inevitably the perpetrator gets away with it that's a whole other kettle of fish Um, but if it's a disclosure that's happened um, you know in a in a non-parliamentary sense or it's just a a member of the public that that shares an experience Mm -hmm. um, and they're seeking help I absolutely think that that politicians need training on what to do, how to provide support to the person that's made that disclosure, how to make sure that they're safe first Mm -hmm. and foremost and that they're in an okay, you know, mental state and emotional state from having made the disclosure. But then what how to best help them and what to do and where to go and if it's appropriate to refer them on to, to a service or to the police or Yes, uh, we don't get training in that sort of thing. And we clearly need training in that sort of thing because it's happening more and more. So Brittany Higgins has obviously suggested that the federal government implement and bring in some kind of independent body to deal with these kinds of issues. Do you think that will be effective if it is implemented in a good way? Yeah, so at the moment there's a, a process for workplace harassment that 
parliament is meant to follow. But because politicians are special snowflakes, <laughs> there's no consequences if the perpetrator is an elected person. Yeah. Okay. And I think everybody probably knows that. So frankly, the system is very, very weak mm-hmm. and it's not surprised that it's underutilised because... You know, essentially, why would you bother making a complaint if you know nothing's going to happen to your yeah. perpetrator? And obviously, you're concerned about your own career prospects mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. a staff member in one of those bigger parties where sadly this seems to happen. Yeah. Um, so, we need to fix the awareness of the process, we need to fix the strength of the process. Yeah. Um, and so, I think there's two things that need fixing. Firstly, it's the independence of the process, it's, it's the department that runs it at the moment. You've got to have essentially a compulsory mediation with the perpetrator if they're your boss at the start of the process no (laughs) massive disincentive to reporting if you've got to face your boss and talk about how their behavior is either inappropriate or actually criminal Mm -hmm. so the independence is an issue but the lack of consequences for the perpetrator is Mm -hmm. the other issue and that's what I think um, needs reform. And mm-hmm. that's why the Greens are pushing for an independent code of conduct for politicians mm-hmm. yeah. where the chamber itself could collectively essentially punish or sanction. Particularly since the federal government hasn't inspired very much confidence in me, and I know I'm not alone when I say that, how do we know the new rules and regulations and processes are going to be followed by the elected officials and the staffers? Oh, look, it's so vexed because, like you, I've got very little confidence in this current government. And, like, just when you think they couldn't get a worse prime minister, they somehow managed to get worse every time. I don't don't know how they do it. And you've got to laugh because you just... Honestly, you could not write this. You couldn't mm. make this up. The Tudor is looking better every day. I know. You can't stage. distinguish satire <laughs> yeah. from reality anymore. Yeah. Like All of the comedians are like yeah. feeling frustrated because they're essentially out of work because reality is stranger than fiction. <laughs> um, anyway, you, you've got to laugh or you cry. I think the key thing that's happened that I do have confidence in mm. is that the government has now ordered the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, who is excellent, to do a proper culture review of Parliament. And um, I've had quite a lot of dealings with her. She's got a long history of doing really um, detailed Mm -hmm. and impartial um, and strong feminist work. So I have confidence in her Mm -hmm. and I am... um, I'm hopeful at the prospect that the re- the review and the report that she will prepare mm. will be good and will be a good process. What then happens is, you know, that's where we rely on the government to do the right thing and actually implement the recommendations. And sometimes they say they're going to and then they don't. Sometimes they don't even commit to implementing mm. them at all. So there could be, like, levels of crapness, basically, that mm. we might have to deal with. And that will be on all of the other politicians but also on the community to keep the pressure on government to follow through on that report when it comes later in the year. Yeah and I guess then the question becomes um, especially as a member of the Greens party who pushes back against so much of this is in some circumstances is it better to take a watered down version of the legislation and the recommendations to get something Mm. or is it better to keep pushing and you know it's an all or nothing approach I guess that's the question back to you as well. That's such a difficult question it is. That really always depends on the context. Absolutely. Um, Like in in years gone by in different issues, the Greens have sometimes not wanted to compromise mm. if we think that the compromise proposal actually is going to be a yeah. backward step. Yeah. Um, and climate laws are one example yeah. where we sort of held the line and then ultimately ended up with a better package that then itself got repealed. Long and sorry story. So sometimes it works to mm. hold off for actually what's, what's mm. better. Other times um, it's a political judgment. You think, am I actually going to 
get a better outcome mm. or do you know do you need to take what's on the table or it's really hard to know <laughs> it's what the right thing to do is yeah. and it depends on what the context is and, yeah. and the yeah the strength of the public movement and sentiment at the time i'm hopeful that because we've had such sustained and righteous um outrage that I hope that will continue and I hope that will force the government to take the um, Jenkins report seriously and to implement it. Um, You would have seen that um, Kate Jenkins did a report into workplaces everywhere because I do want to stress that it's it's important to fix Parliament but women face these issues everywhere Mm. and it's a bit special snowflakey to be saying, oh, let's fix Parliament and then pretend that we've fixed everything. That is not the case. Workplaces everywhere, women everywhere are copying a raw deal Mm. and we need to lift our standards absolutely everywhere. So I am conscious of that. Um, And so noting that the first report that Kate Jenkins did was a report into workplaces Mm -hmm. generally and that's the one that sat on the shelf for like 16 months. Yeah, and just. That's right. And because of the pressure and the attention on these issues in recent months, the government's now said, oh, yes, oh, yes, we'll we'll implement some of those. Mm. Not all, but, you know, some of them. Mm -hmm. So that's the concern is things can be... um, opportunities can be fritted or the government can kind of wait it out and see how much pressure they can take Mm -hmm. and yeah you just just got to keep trying and trying and trying even if it feels like you're banging your head against a brick wall we actually published a story not too long ago on the site after a woman came to us to talk about her rape and how she reported her rape and she's based in melbourne and she reported to the victorian police and she told us that she waited for four months and didn't hear anything back from them and now that you know we're hearing all of these stories come out of canberra the victorian police appear to have scrambled and have gotten back to her just at the beginning of March and said, you know, don't worry, we're on to that and, you know, have kind of moved her on. And she came to us because she wondered how many other uh, victims, survivors, have heard this same thing or gotten the same call. And then I was emailing another independent media company and with about the story and he said that he has already heard about this happening a lot. So from these stories, it appears as though they don't think they have to act until they're absolutely pressured to. Yeah, well, credit to Grace Tame, credit to oh. Brittany Higgins, yeah, credit to Kate's friends, credit mm. to everyone that's ever had the courage to speak out yeah. because the collective strength of that is is what's now changing behaviour. And that yeah. is, like, it's shit... Oh, am I allowed to... Yeah. <laughs> it's shit to see that they... Um, that the cops did nothing for so long. Mm-hmm. But it is fabulous that they're now feeling the pressure to mm. do what they should have done in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you shouldn't be excited about the bare minimum, but yeah. if, it's, if, it's, if it's an improvement, then yeah. I think full credit goes to everyone that's been involved yeah. in speaking out about sexual assault and rape. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's the stats are off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and society still victim blames, and so there's self censoring. There's um, you know, there's just multiple tiers of disincentive to reporting mm-hmm. and internalized um, uh, everything. And yeah, yeah. I guess we're up against it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you've been a very prominent woman in Parliament for almost a decade now. I think would it be mm-hmm. yeah, very impressive. So old now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I guess at this time, I think one. Of, I'm actually just finishing Kate Ellis's book, um, oh, yeah, Sex, Lies, and Question good. Time, and there's just so many stories. And I think one of the most interesting things that was said in the book was, you know, there's no point lying anymore to women mm. who are thinking of a political career. I guess mm. the question would be to you, what what 
what incentive, what would you say to women wanting to go into a career in politics now at yeah. the moment? Look, it is, that is such a tough question and I've, I've reflected on this a lot because I want more young women mm. in politics. I want parliament to look more like the community, so yeah. not just young women but like full spectrum of diversity. That's yeah. why we get such terrible decisions. Yeah. We've got pale, male and stale and rich <laughs> people making decisions for the rest of us. So yeah. if we get a more representative parliament, you know, you, you expect that we would get more life experience to inform the decisions and hence decisions that actually improve people's mm. lives. So that so the theory goes. Um, and I do want more young women in politics in particular. But every now and then my 11-year-old says, oh, mum, I want to be a politician. And like a little bit of me on the inside dies mm. so <laughs> I, I haven't yet reconciled yeah. the fact that I wouldn't want her to do it but that I want other people to do it so I, I really am quite conflicted about it we, mm. it won't change until we have more representation yeah. but at the moment the culture is really horrible mm. and I don't want anyone to be subjected to to that mm. and again I feel I feel conflicted as well because as one of the elected people I'm conscious that I've got a huge amount of privilege and, um, you know, I wasn't aware of all of the incidents that had been occurring mm. to women, mostly junior staff members. Like, I was as shocked as the next person that it had actually gotten that bad mm. and p potentially had been that bad all along. Because I've had, um, you know, I've had casual sexism and mm. just a general frustration at the, at the patriarchy, but I've never felt unsafe in my workplace mm. and absolutely accept that so many others have. And it's just, it's a very, it's a very difficult situation because um, I want, I want Parliament to be better and the only way it will be better is when you get more diversity and when men stop being so shit. Mm -hmm. um, but people shouldn't be at risk to make that process change. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know what the solution is. Yeah. But, um, I'm looking at the results and the, the conversations that are happening as a result of this year and like it feels like the change is already starting to happen and mm. I have to believe that the change is yeah. starting to happen because it's unbearable to think that the workplace that's meant to be an example for, for others mm. is so hideous and like rapey. It's mm. like yeah. it's beyond sexism, it's dangerous yeah. and that's like that sends shivers down my spine still. So I know that you and the Greens are quite open about what happens in quotes behind the scenes and give the public a little bit of an insight into what does happen you know places like Parliament in the Senate etc. I'm just wondering how much of that stuff does the public not see you know things like casual sexism, harassment, even you know some what we might call locker room talk. Is there any that happens behind the scenes that you don't share? Look, I don't know. I mean, as you say, the Greens, we, we pretty much speak our minds mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, often are, are quite um, critical of, of bad behaviour. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we feel like we can speak out. It's, it's, um, it's sad that others have felt that they haven't been able to speak out until recently and more credit mm -hmm. to them for now making the decision that they will do so in future because mm -hmm. there's political risk involved in doing so, but, like, women's safety should trump political yes. um you know points always um and so i'm really pleased that people are, are now expressing that that's that's how they'll conduct themselves um in future but look i think a lot of the aggression that that i've experienced you see on the floor of parliament like look yeah. at question time it's horrible yeah. you know it's this theater of 
machismo mm-hmm. and testosterone and you know you've got to like be angry and perform and mm. it's really gross it's totally off-putting it's not how I like to be and it's this strange culture that is just all about um, one-upping the other person and ego and and, and theatrics. Mm. So I think a lot of that is sadly all too visible to the mm. public. They see that. That's why people have such a low, low opinion of politicians mm. and, and yeah. feel so alienated from politics because mm. people act like complete morons mm. in, in Parliament. Um, so you see a lot of it, but I guess what we don't see and what um, even myself as someone who works in that building hadn't seen... Um, is the level of sexual aggression. Mm-hmm. And again, check my own privilege because I've, I've got one of the jobs that only the people of Queensland can fire me from. You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not subject to a boss's whim who can harass me or, or a colleague who can, um, you know, sexually assault me. I, I'm one of the lucky ones. So mm-hmm. sort of coming to terms with how I didn't realise it was so bad yeah. and, that's, and that's why. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, some women who are elected officials within the Labor Party came out publicly and said, we're not keeping secrets anymore, referring to the men in their party. And while I like the sentiment, it just makes me wonder, do you think people will start to come out against their own party and try to hold their fellow party members to account for wrongdoings or alleged wrongdoings? Look, I don't know. I guess politics is very tribal and when you're working for outcomes that you that you really passionately believe in like you know social equality Mm. a house for everyone that needs one climate action to like save the whole friggin planet i can understand the psychology of how you might think those objectives possibly trump Mm. pointing the finger at someone on your own side you know that'll get bad press and you know will reduce your chances of becoming the next government and therefore implementing the policy so i can understand Mm. the psychology of that decision making but i just i'm not sure it's i don't want to say i'm not sure it's worth it because climate action is the thing that got me into politics in the first place Mm -hmm. but like the the means it is important how you get Mm. to the ends and um, and I hope we see people speaking out and I also hope that it, I mean, I want to see a change of government. I think this government is horrible, their ethics are wrong, they don't care about ordinary people, they don't give a damn about nature, they're just like mm. weird and privileged and shouldn't ever represent anyone. Um, and so I'm sure that there's a lot of things that we don't know about um, more liberals, but also Labor that hasn't yet come to light, you know, mm-hmm. possibly in our party too. Like, I'm sure there's examples everywhere that are unedifying for political parties, mm-hmm. but I really think that if we want to make change and we want to make it safe for people, we've got to call it out, mm-hmm. no matter how politically inconvenient it is. And I would hope that the voting public would kind of accept that at face value and not kind of decide to vote against you because of that, but, but just except that this is part of a process of owning up to you know your own terrible history yeah. if that's what's the case and um i don't know just it's it's when it's when com- objectives are competing you know you want better culture but you also want better yeah. policies yeah. and you know what happens if you've got to choose you shouldn't have to choose we should mm-hmm. be able to have both better culture and better policies yeah and i guess coming back to respect at work um, report and things like that what do you think the biggest barriers are for women in the workplace at the moment well i mean 
if you look at the um, Workplace Gender Equality Agency, they track not only the fact that we still don't have equal pay, but they track like how many women are in senior roles compared to mm. men. So I think the biggest barrier is the fact that sexism is real and it's reflected in our workplace structures. Mm. There are so few women at, in like the upper echelons of decision making, mm. whether that's in the business sector or whether it's in the community sector or even in politics. Like it doesn't matter what industry you're in, inevitably you've got men predominantly in the in the higher up roles mm-hmm. and women predominantly in either the le- less senior roles or certainly in the lower paid roles mm-hmm. so the fact that um our historic uh inequality is still playing itself out in the positions that we're holding yeah. is the is the main problem um, but it's a whole raft of things it's the lack of flexible workplaces which is continued discrimination against um, women who still predominantly perform care work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that care work is still predominantly unpaid mm-hmm. and that we do probably twice as much, I can't remember the, the figure, but I think it's mm-hmm. roughly twice as much as men anyway, as well as doing paid work. So mm-hmm. we're just working all the time and we're tired and fed up. Um, it's the lack of equal pay. Um, it's the it's the fact that you've still got... Um, workplaces or or industries that are female dominated and those ones are less paid and even if you have women moving into traditionally male dominated Mm. sectors the pay drops there too it's it's um it's a whole lot of factors it's the fact that we retire in poverty Mm -hmm. and the fastest growing um cohort of people who are homeless it used to be women over 55 Mm -hmm. but since covid it's women over 45 and it's just it's very confronting that we have all of the facts laid out to see and all of these policies that make it like that and we still haven't managed the legislative change or the cultural change to fix that and yeah. you know we're on a path we're getting there but it's damn slow progress yeah and we are like 100 years away from equal pay yeah. at the rate that we're at um we we still have one of us being killed each week and there was another woman this morning on the Gold Coast, just horrific mm-hmm. um situation I'm not sure if you've read that article massive trigger warning there um, yeah, this is real mm-hmm. and it's confronting and we've got to change it and it takes a whole lot of strength and resilience mm-hmm. to change it. And generations often. A lot of the work that we're doing now is probably not going to be seen until our children are grown up or even our children's children. So I've had a lot of conversations with my friends who are around my age, I'm in my late 20s, about you know having kids and what that's going to look like work-wise the impact that it's going to have on our careers and aside from the care duties that are obviously necessary and have to be done by someone and as often that is often the woman we also are wondering how much impact it's going to have on our careers you know what kind of um in quotes damage is it going to do to our careers if any when we return to work so i know that you had a child while you were in this position i did how was that how did that go how did you do it the do famous that. photo yeah. yeah that's my little one who's, who's just turned four now i can't mm-hmm. believe that was four years ago um, but yeah there's no parental leave in parliament so um by but sort of by arrangement I agreed I'd have seven weeks off and then go back to work do not recommend going back to work with a seven week old baby for Mm -hmm. no no matter who you are or what profession you're in Um, so that's first tip but then um, 
history revealed itself in that um, I was then I, I left Parliament again because it turns out I was a Canadian mm-hmm. and and was blithely unaware of that fact and you know somewhat embarrassingly so anyway that's that's ancient history <laughs> but it meant that um, when little one was about five months I was back out of Parliament again mm-hmm. and then I had a year or so where I was trying to come back and ultimately I'm I'm here again now which yeah. I'm very grateful for. Um, so I only had to juggle having an actual infant in mm-hmm. Parliament for um, about three months. Mm-hmm. And when I first be when I was first elected ten odd years ago, my little one was my oldest girl was two at the time. So I've had a toddler in Parliament, and I've had a and I've had a an infant in Parliament. And um, you can't do it without help. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's got to be good help. Yeah. Um, and I'm really lucky that my mum um, was at retirement age when I first got elected and is also a complete sweetheart, so kind of conveniently retired to then mm-hmm. um, essentially be my nanny, um, which which I, I couldn't have done it without her. I mean, you know, I would have hired a nanny, I suppose, but it's nicer yeah. when it's your own family and you, you know that your kids are getting great quality care and the values mm-hmm. that are being imparted are the ones that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so long story short, it's very hard to be a working parent, mm-hmm. particularly a working mum. And um, we still don't have affordable and accessible childcare. We still don't have the right to request flexible working hours in the first year of an employment. Mm-hmm. Um, your parental leave provisions will vary depending on your, the workplace that you're at. Um, there's still a culture of men not taking the parental leave that's available to them. Mm-hmm. And actually, the, there's, it's only like two weeks of dad's pay. Mm-hmm. And there's still a culture of not taking the two weeks. I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, in other nations, there's like 50-50 parental leave. And like, yeah. dad takes six months off. And then mum takes six months. And like, it's normalised to have hands-on dads. And that's yeah. absolutely what we need to mm-hmm. send the message that, you know, that's a social so that's change. Parent thing. Yeah. It's obviously yeah. not always mums and dads. It's two parents. Sometimes it's one parent. But mm-hmm. the point is we should normalise yeah. um, sharing the care load yeah. so yeah. that the career implications are minimised and um, and there should be less career implications mm-hmm. for having taken time out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this kind of bizarre culture that you work... 12 hours a day and you know you get promoted because you're just always chained to the desk you mm-hmm. should look at the productivity of the of the worker mm-hmm. yeah rather than the kind of alleged FaceTime that they put in yeah definitely I actually had a colleague a few jobs ago who got made redundant while she was on maternity leave which I I was actually being told on a video call so as it was being told to us I was googling um and shocked to find and I was shocked to find that it is actually legal obviously you know quite unethical in my opinion but off the top of your head is there anything legally that will stop a company from doing that or anything that you would suggest someone in that position do join join your union always no matter Mm -hmm. what what gender you are join your union because they can help Mm -hmm. um i think in that situation the Kind of legal peculiarity is that because it's a restructure mm-hmm. kind of um, that that gives the employer what sounds like a bit of a free pass from all of the mm. normal laws about not discriminating against people that have kids yeah which inevitably it's it's people that identify as women um so yeah without without looking at the finer details mm. of that I, you know can't talk about the legals per se mm. um, but that's as you say it's a really bad ethics to do that yeah and even aside from her individually 
all, almost all of the team were women. So, and there was actually one woman in there who would go on to get pregnant shortly after that. So obviously for us as well, it doesn't really inspire confidence for any of us either. But I guess the thing about a company making a role in quotes redundant is always going to be easy for them to prove. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a backdoor way of getting around the rules. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, you know, you can legislate for a certain amount of things, but it's the culture that really mm. makes decisions. Mm -hmm. That sounds very trite, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you can write the law, you can enforce the law, but it's, it's actually having norms and behaviours that are considered acceptable in the workplace and that's, yeah. that's a cultural thing. I guess so, the law is an avenue in that way to cultural change. Like if, you know, paternity leave or, you know, yeah. male parental leave was extended, then you'd have maybe an encouragement for that culture. Right. There's a shift of the mental load then in a family. Yes. So I guess the law is the first step, but then I guess the question is to what extent can it, you know, shift um, community values yeah, as well. Yeah, and yeah. in some cases the law is the last step because yeah. often the parliament is like so far beyond <laughs> community standards yeah. that it takes them forever to catch up. So yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right, but it's sometimes the order. Yeah, the order that's differs. absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but same-sex marriage. Well, that's the right. culture that's completely right. shifted, and then decades behind, yeah. mm -hmm. and then that awful plebiscite yeah. where people's human rights got voted on. Mm -hmm. I think that's a major problem as well as the way that we have discourse in this country. Mm -hmm. The way that Parliament speaks about issues publicly is so offensive to those communities of people mm -hmm. as well, and that's a major mm -hmm. problem. I think is the way that the discussion is had. Sometimes there's just no respect. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think it comes back to no lived experience. Like, mm. I think um, sometimes there's an intention to offend, but I think often people just don't have a friggin' clue what they're talking about. And yeah. I have to try and pretend that they know what they're talking yeah. about, but they, you know, make all these gaffes and insults. And yeah. sometimes they mean it, sure, because they're not nice people, but other times it could just be genuine lack yeah. of understanding. And that's, where that's exactly why you need a parliament that <laughs> yeah. is more normal and looks yeah. like the community so that you can actually learn from that experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, yeah. You get otherwise you get tokenism or yeah. just offence blatantly really. Yeah. 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 How helpful is tokenism? The example that I usually like to use when I'm talking about this stuff is Julie Bishop. She obviously was a woman in the Liberal Party. However, I don't believe that she actually stood for women. I definitely didn't feel like she represented me. But I always felt as though the Liberal Party were able to point to her and say, oh, look, we've got a woman in such a high up position. I don't believe she was representing any women that I know. And I did not ever feel as though she was reflecting Australian women when she was in that position. Do you believe that is at all helpful or do you think that it's actually the opposite and it's quite harmful? That's a big question. Um... I don't know. Look, I'm I'm wary of putting too much pressure on one person's shoulders. Yeah. And like, I will never vote for the Liberal Party. I never have. I never will. So I don't expect Julie Bishop to have represented me in that mm. sense. Mm. So like, I guess I have different expectations of women in the Liberal Party. I want them to make their party better, mm -hmm. but I don't ever personally expect that they would reflect my values because mm -hmm. I like I just I have different values. Yeah. To them. But I do want women in all parties to work to make their parties and the values that their party share um, more equitable mm -hmm. and, and for their parties to listen to them. Yeah. So I guess I, I take a slightly different approach. Um, coming back to your question of is it tokenism, I think it was very helpful for the Liberals to be able to say, well, our, our deputy is a woman. Mm -hmm. They can't say that anymore because, of course, you know, they've mm -hmm. got two dudes at the helm now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and they just tried to make a massive deal out of adding one extra woman to cabinet okay. and they're crying about how it's like the most Historic ever line. women yeah. and like <laughs> the reshuffle dude, it's like pathetic. about a quarter yeah. you should be yeah. embarrassed yeah. Not, not crowing about that so yeah difference of perspective mm-hmm. um oh look i don't know it's it's how much do you want the system to be better and it's how much um, do you just have fairly low expectations of particular political parties? And that depends on your own personal value yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Um, I want politics to be better. I want all parties to be better. But I, yeah, I have differing levels of expectations about mm-hmm. um, their likely performance and values. But we do need more women in all parties yeah. and they need to be listened to, not just pointed to, but yes. actually heard. Yeah. And we'll never really know what influence Julie Bishop had. She'll mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. because she was in that room having those conversations mm-hmm. and maybe she made great changes. Perhaps she stopped a whole lot of horrible stuff that you know we never got yeah. to hear about because she was the one that said that's not going to fly with the women of Australia. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. I guess it's tough too because then you've got, and I guess I'm looking for your opinion on this too, but this is a bit of a sidebar as well. You know, you've got Julie Bishop who was someone who backed Tony Abbott when asked mm. if he was a misogynist, you know, when she was um, the deputy at the time. And now we've got Julie Bishop who, you know, is retired from politics. She's the Chancellor of ANU and she's going on the 730 report and telling Lee Sales about the big the swinging big dicks, right? And yeah. it's like this is just transformative because yeah. you've got someone who, to me, was always the... Um, the sort of silent, quiet Australian woman the Liberal Party seems to want to me. Yeah. And again, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. I yeah. don't know what influence she had. But, you know, going from... And I understand that while you're in a party, you need to back the leader as the mm. deputy especially. But I guess it's a difficult question of, you know, as a woman representing women mm. in Australia, well, Liberal women at the very least, mm. what role should you, would should she play, even if she is a token, um, to then come out later and after she's mm. retired and be able to say all of these Which things. Would, yeah. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, you know, it's hard, it? it is hard because I understand there's a balance and she's never going to come out against her own party while she's part of the party. That doesn't make sense. But it, I guess it lets me down as to the transparency. And we all know that there's the transparency mm. in that government. But it concerns me that people make such a transformative perspective change from while in the role to out of the role about what it's yes. really like. Yes, I agree. I agree. I guess I try to look for the good intentions in people. Yeah. And I imagine, without any evidence, but I'm speculating that perhaps she did try to make change while mm. she was there, but she did that privately. Yeah. And publicly held the party line. Yeah. As, you know, you sort of expected to do as a politician. Mm. Um, but she may well have been trying to make change internally. Yeah. And now that she doesn't have to toe the public line anymore because she's not in the politics anymore then she can reveal a little bit of the change she was seeking to make so mm. i don't know look it is disappointing when people don't speak out more but i i shouldn't be up to her to change yeah it no, you're right. party. it's a bunch of dudes they need to improve their own behavior like i don't want to put i certainly don't want to put the blame on her um and i have um i have some sympathy i don't want to say a lot of sympathy but because uh, yeah I, I don't i don't like the party i don't like the values they stand for um, but I want, I, I don't know, I feel, I, again, I feel very conflicted about it. It's a difficult question when I guess it comes back to, like, are we holding women to, women to a higher standard because mm-hmm. we, want to, we want them to yes. go out and, and fight for us? That's yes. a difficult question because it's not it their job. Like, it's, that's right. It but, sounds like we are and you can't help it because, yeah. you know, we're women. We want, there's we want, so, there's we want a certain us all bond. to represent and to lift yeah. each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I guess people choose different paths and sometimes you don't know what yeah. change they're seeking to make and how they're seeking to make it. And we all seek to make change in different ways. Mm. Some people can do it really publicly and strongly. Others do it strongly but privately. Mm. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I live it's and let live. Mm-hmm. The yeah. libs can sort themselves out. <laughs> and, you know, if they don't, then people should not vote for them. And, yeah. In yeah. my view, Hopefully. they don't deserve to be voted <laughs> yeah. for anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's just very easy to compare the way that Julia Gillard was trying to make those differences at at the front. Um, you know, obviously, as the prime minister, she had a pretty loud voice. And obviously, that was just much more visible to the public than even if if we're going to you know, assume if Julie Bishop was trying to make change behind the scenes. But by the same token, obviously, the very easy reasoning for this is that the Labor Party's policies are much more positive towards women than the Liberals are. And obviously, Julia Gillard was able to be much more vocal because she does, did have her party's support, whereas uh, Julie Bishop would never have. And they have more women than mm-hmm. the Liberals exactly. ever have. Yeah, I think, is it 50% now or almost 50? They're, I think they're quite close. To they're 49.6 like or something, yeah. yeah. And yes. then you've got the Libs and Nats that are at quarter and under. 20 something. Yeah. yeah. And we're at 60 at the minute. Yeah. And, um, haven't been below 50. Yeah. That's nice. So that's good. At least... But it, it really does change the culture. It does. You know? So you, yeah. and there's a um, the conversation about quotas, which mm. we you know haven't yet had today. But the Libs are now, after many many years of saying they don't think that works, they're now at least paying lip service to it and and toying with the idea. And yeah. I think they should adopt it. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's not up to me to tell the Liberal Party what to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, having more women around the table changes the conversation, changes the culture. And yeah. so I think quotas work. It's yeah. extremely doable in the short term as a quick response as well. I think yeah. it's I think it's one of the best things that they could do now to at least for face value. I agree. To implement. That's, I think it's politically yeah. smart for them to do yeah. it. But I, I just think fundamentally they don't understand that people think they're sexist. Mm. And because you don't see your own, you know, shortcomings, yep. I, I, I just think they've fundamentally misunderstood mm. what it is that, like, modern Australia expects from yeah. a political party. Mm-hmm. Instead, and we've got a milkshake video about that, consent. Exactly, <laughs> which leads us to the issue of sexual consent and yeah. just the embarrassingly 1950s yeah. kind of... Uh, and I don't really want to disparage religion because each to their own. I'm not religious, but, you know, I understand it can bring people a lot of solace. But I feel deeply uncomfortable with a Prime Minister that is, like, literally delivered from the 1950s and yep. it belongs to a... Um, you know, a, a portion of a religious mm-hmm. belief system that is mm-hmm. j- just very Quite extreme, just very different to yeah. I think what ordinary Australians would would subscribe to. Yes, and, and again, it's hard not to be, it's hard yeah. not to impose your own mm-hmm. um, values. And uh, I don't want to be disparaging. We're definitely yeah, on the same just, page as you. I find it very <laughs> creepy, very very creepy. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is obviously we live in Australia, and there should be a separation between church and state. And even further to that, I think that it is, for me, very questionable that ScoMo is involved with Hillsong, which is a group that have leaders who have been in a bit of trouble, you know, have been in scandals, have been um, accused of some pretty unsavoury behaviour. So even beyond the fact that he is so, so, so public with his religion, I think that it does kind of raise the question as to if we want the leader of our country being involved with these people who are, you know, unsavoury characters at best, but potentially doing things that are actually illegal. 
There are such um, small, very, I think there's been big issues with you know the way Scott Morrison's been speaking about issues the last few months and the entirety of his prime ministership. But little things like even the photo of um, Scott and his yeah. wife when signing the or writing yeah. a letter to saw the barrage of criticism. Yeah, there's just dude. there's just certain like the body language. A lot of mm-hmm. non non direct communication is very clearly, um, as you said, 1950s. Mm-hmm. The transportation mm-hmm. is there. Like it's mm-hmm. so clear that there's a very traditional viewpoint there. And you know that doesn't bother me when that's not the leader of our country. Yeah, that's right. People Each are allowed to have own. those views in their own home. Yeah, I feel exactly the same yeah. as you. Yeah. Even though I know, and I think most of us know, um, and if you don't, you you should look into it, that women face micro microaggressions, uh, harassment, sexual violence, assault in all workplaces. I just think it is a particularly sad state of affairs when we are seeing it in. The federal government exactly if you can't get it right in parliament then you just it, yeah it really is a sorry state of affairs mm-hmm. and it's not that you know politicians are better than anyone because as we talked about earlier like most people think politicians are terrible mm-hmm. and they're like less popular than car sales people <laughs> mostly for good reason yeah, yeah. but the parliament itself the institution of democracy should mm-hmm. be better it mm-hmm. should be something that um the country can have confidence in and can look to to set an example for behavior yeah uh and it's it's heartbreaking when you see that this is what it's become mm-hmm. and i know that everyone might not agree with this but in my opinion i think they should be held to a higher standard than the general public yeah i just think that and it's a bit of a sad thought but if people who are elected to the highest level of government can't be stopped you know with this harassment um anything from microaggressions all the way to the most violent of sexual crimes if they can't be stopped, then what hope does anyone else have in any other workplace? And that's where we get to the point where people start to switch off from politics because, you know, they just they don't want to know. And I think that it, that problem is actually very cyclical. And I think the very best thing that we can do is actually be very engaged in politics, understand the power of our vote and that it actually does make a difference. And even when it's not election time, there's plenty you can do to stay involved. You know, you don't only have to be political on election day. There's so much you can do the rest of the year. Um, Actually, and I'm sure, actually, that's that's a good question. How much impact do, you know, constituent emails have? Well, I think it depends on if they're personalised emails or not. Mm-hmm. Um, emails are always powerful because I, I get an absolute ton of them and because I get so many, I have I have people that help me mm. run the office and yeah, my office yeah. manager is the point person that looks at the emails first. Mm-hmm. And so she'll come to me and say, you know, we just got 1,500 emails about this particular issue and I'll be like, well, yeah. that's quite a lot in, yeah. you know, in just a week, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get across what the issue is, we'll formulate a response to the emails, we'll send it out mm-hmm. and if it's my area, of responsibility for the Greens well I'll do something about it if it's one of my colleagues area of responsibility I'll you know send them an email saying you're getting these two mm-hmm. it's obviously an issue yep. what can we do about this in Parliament mm-hmm. so it, it works mm-hmm. um, but if you've got I suppose there's a limit to that because at the moment we're getting emails about some private members bill by some backbench liberal who is uh, anti-abortion mm-hmm. and 
frankly, those emails are not going to have an impact yeah. on me because yeah. I am pro-choice mm-hmm. and always will be. So I guess there's a limit mm-hmm. um, to the persuasiveness of an email. If mm-hmm. it's an issue that I don't already have a very strong viewpoint on, um, then I'll take it on board. But, yeah, I, I'm sorry to any people who've emailed me about that, but I will always support a woman's right mm-hmm. to choose what she does with her body and, mm-hmm. and that, that's a view that's not going to change. Yeah. So yeah, within within limits. Yeah, yeah. But I guess um, but but the point remains like you you don't just vote once and then four years later you yeah. vote again. Mm-hmm. It is it is up to the community to remind MPs mm. and to hold them to account. Yes, yeah. Yeah. emails are a great way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Seeking a meeting is a good way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Just putting in a phone call is a great way. Anything where you give feedback, because you're right. I think that people don't realise their own power, mm-hmm. and they just assume that because politicians are terrible and the whole system is for sale, and you know only political donors get good outcomes, they kind of almost accept that, and it, it's a self-reinforcing prophecy. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get more and more emails like for example if there was to be an email campaign that said stop yelling at each other in question time Mm -hmm. i want you to actually discuss policy matters and like spend that hour usefully rather than looking like complete pork chops Mm -hmm. maybe maybe if enough of those emails got sent that message might get through um i would i would love that (laughs) i would love that because question time is horrible and it's performative and you don't get an answer to your question so it's like Mm. actually pointless but it shouldn't be that way Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think people expecting more of their representatives and demanding more you're likely to get a good result. Yeah. yeah. We might write up a template for um, a letter to your local member. No yelling in question time. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> please. It's so off-putting. It, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's it just is. sledging. It's just a match, a yeah. screaming match. Yeah. yeah, and it's like they think that that's what makes them powerful and important. Actually, mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. makes everyone go, you are an absolute insert your expletive of choice yeah it's what makes the public disengage with totally. that content mm-hmm. and totally. then we just turn to their murdoch headline the yeah, nearest murdoch headline exactly. whatever that is and that's yeah, arguably worse <laughs> so indeed, just like you're bringing all the joy now <laughs> we can't do a podcast without talking about rupert murdoch every uh, every single time it's uh, look, readership is falling yeah, yeah. And, like, I'm really happy about that. I'm sad that people feel they have to switch off because they can't bear it. Mm. Um, So, and there's problems with that too because, yeah, when you you give up on democracy, it won't ever get any better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm I'm okay if people give up on Murdoch. Yeah. 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 So are we. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he'd get happier once he married, you know, Jerry Hall. I know. But it has not transpired in the way that I hoped it would. And I'm worried that he will live on for another couple of decades. He's I'm got concerned good he for his does. Family, that his mum lasted quite a while. I know. Mm. His dad didn't though, did he? No. no. Yeah. Oh, well, there's hope yet. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> he's had a fall. We know that. He's, yeah. but he's, he's going. He's had I'm, a fall from grace. That's yeah. for sure. I think if he knows. In grace. I think he knows the empire will really suffer when he dies. So I think yeah. he'll just live on for another twenty years to just watch over the us and horrify, keeping him going, haunt mm. our souls. But then Lachlan's just the new him. <sighs> yeah, but I think it won't be as strong. Really? Because some people say that Lachlan is more conservative. Oh, is that possible? Yeah, but James. I mean, James is out the picture. Mm. But I think. I think. Rupert, um, and this is a problem that I'm not going to... We get into this every time. (laughs) Hannah's like, stop talking about this. (laughs) Um, 
but Murdoch at the start of 2016 when Trump was starting his campaign, Murdoch actually thought he was an idiot. He didn't like him. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good identifying. Yeah. <laughs> but he ended up putting Trump on Fox News anyway because of the views. Who knew? Ratings. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think the ethics. The so pure... is it money or power that runs here? Yeah. yeah. I think power because he has so much money already. We are a bit obsessive over the people's agency and ability to critically think. And is he the reason that Trump won? You know, like yeah. how much the public are spoon fed this entire body yes. of media, which is angled um, horribly, well, in our opinion. But I guess at the end of the day, it's like, well, how do we enable the public and empower the public to question mm. what they're reading and watching as well. Mm. So mm. it's about agency well, as well. Well, with free education. Exactly. And yes. good quality public education accessible mm. to all, no matter mm. where you live. Yeah. Starting with consent education. Videos, Starting with consent, that's right, that don't involve milk milkshakes. milkshakes and, it's classic. and other tortured analogies that yeah. are just mm. baffling. It yeah. was like it was made in the 50s. It really was. Scott Same Morrison, scriptwriter, <laughs> question mark. I'm sure he loved it. I know, tick. Like, yeah. Here it is, right? I'm oh. nailing this women's stuff. I was, I was watching it because I actually watched it because I saw your post on Instagram and I was like, oh, here we go. And I thought, it's going to be bad, but how bad? And I just, like, my I mouth know, was I just know, open. Right? I was like, this is serious. This yeah, is a joke. Like, I wanted it to be good. I was like, Batuta, it's you, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the fact that they made the woman the perpetrator. Yeah, I know. I know. And I was like, I know. And you, you said it perfectly. Is it because we need men to watch this and feel like the victim and that's how they can learn? Yeah, and that is that the only way to communicate to them? And it's also treating men like idiots and assuming that they don't have the capacity to have empathy or the intellect to figure it out themselves. Yeah. Mm. Um, the milkshake was confusing. It mm. was confusing. It sense. It wasn't natural. Oh, and this whole moving the line bit. Oh, oh look, the moving the line was confusing. It was I'm very like, strange. No, just... The, it was like a chessboard. It was the yes no line. Oh. It just didn't make sense. It really didn't. You know what's good? That cup of tea video. Consent yes. is like a cup of tea. Yes. That's how it should be yeah. done. I think that yeah. was what they were trying to do, and they've completely ruined and it. They should have just paid for the rights they to use the tea. Yes. And oh. they're doing like this awesome dance at the end. I'm like, <laughs> the after you. But how does that relate. fit with the message that you just garbled anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. like to see a group of 12 year olds decipher what they got from that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like to yeah. let someone watch it, like an mm. age appropriate high school students say what did yeah. you get from that like nothing <laughs> sorry we've been through a lot Rough of topics topic. we've solved all of the problems of the world <laughs> which is good we needed to it was a very productive hour uh is there anything that you wanted to leave the listeners with oh can i just say people should not give up on democracy because look at the change that's already happening as a result of the hideousness that's come to light this year you've just you cannot give up there's got to be hope for change i have to have hope for change because i you know work in this building and mm. i have to believe that things can improve mm -hmm. um and so please keep holding us to account and expect better mm. and don't tolerate awful representation or or values mismatch or you know criminal behavior and feel empowered to make change in your sphere of existence mm -hmm. Often a lot goes unsaid, but the power of a few words is really strong. And so as long as people feel comfortable and safe doing so, like just start calling out casual sexism mm. in whatever way feels most natural and mm. comfortable to you. But it's those little changes that add up to big changes. It does sound trite, but, it, but it, it'll, make, it'll make you feel better mm. for doing it. Mm -hmm. And it really, culture isn't fixed. It changes every day and, and we can reshape it. 
well, very well said. You should be a politician. I've had a wonderful <laughs> conversation. Thank you for your detailed interest in this, and I hope that there's lots of people listening and um, taking comfort from two women reshaping politics through a podcast. Well, thank Thanks. You. Thanks. We try. <laughs> <laughs> If you found us just totally relatable and quirky, come back next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, head to cheekmedia.com.au to tide you over until then. Bye. Goodbye.